Take a little five on your like. You've been on him since the start. I'd hate to see you miss it. Buy the one you want, not the one that's left. I do it for a five. 85. 85. A little five on if you like. I do it for you too, sir. 90. 90, he said. 90,000. 90,000. Bids on the left here. 90,000. Make no mistake, you're out on the right. 90,000. 90,000. A bit of got 90,000. A bit of got 90,000. A bit of got 90,000. Taking that little five on if you like. Five, he said. 95. 95,000. A bit of 95,000. A bit of got 95,000. A bit of take me to 100, sir. What do you say? Six figures. Is he worth it? Of course he is. Have a look at him. Have a look at him like a painting. 100,000. The bit now he said. 100, he said. 100,000. The bit I got 100,000. The bit I got 100,000. The bit now the man in the blue hat. It's a nice hat, by the way. 100. I'll sell him at 100. Guess what? He's for sale. 100 the bid now going once, 100 the bid going twice, miss him now, you miss him forever, done at 100, all done, well bought. Hello, welcome back to another episode of The Trainer's Hut, I'm Todd Blum, your host, and we've got the uh, the auction there at the start of the show, we don't have the race call because we're talking to General Manager of Bloodstock Sales and Marketing in this week's edition of The Trainer's Hut, Sebastian Hutch is going to join me on the line, we're going to talk all things English with uh, the current climate and what's happening this year. Obviously, huge disruptions to the way they would normally conduct their sales. But to the team's credit up there in English, it was another really good year across the board at all their major sales. We'll have a chat about Easter being online, the chairman's sale, and of course, their monthly auctions that uh, the English digital platform it just keeps going from strength to strength. And we know Bella Vella, who won the Robert Sankster Stakes, which was just before we kicked off the trainer's hut. And episode one, we had Adam Sankster, of course, the son of Robert Sankster on the show. So if you're new to the trainer's hut, first of all, thanks for joining us. And uh, jump back through the catalogue and have a listen to some of the previous episodes because there's nothing but big names here in the trainer's hut. It's good to have your company again. Thank you for joining us. I'm really enjoying bringing the trainer's heart to the audience out there. It's really encouraging to see the feedback that we're receiving and the show is continuing to grow. So really appreciate the support. For now, I'm going to have a chat to Sebastian Hutch now. Sebastian is uh, one of the big movers and shakers in the industry. Don't worry about that. He's been touted as a future managing director up there at Inglis. And he came across from Coolmore, was headhunted with a bit of a restructure to the bloodstock management team when they moved to the new base there at Riversdale Stables in Sydney and he certainly is a man on the rise and I'm really looking forward to having a chat with Sebastian and getting him in the trainer's hut and getting him to be a part of the show because he has always been very good to me with his time throughout my journey and I remember being a kid back in school watching Bread to Win and he was he was front and centre of uh, Bread to Win whenever the cameras had head out to Coolmore. And we'll head to him now. Sebastian Hutch joining me on the line here in the Trainers Hut, the General Manager of Bloodstock Sales and Marketing. Sebastian, thank you very much for taking the time and being part of the show, mate. Hey, Todd. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Now, 2020, it's been, uh, it's been a very different year with uh, a lot of challenges. And for Inglis, I suppose it's been no different. And it took a very different shape this year with the the sales season earlier in the year, and, and I suppose there's a couple of sales still yet to come. Yeah, look, it's definitely been character building. Um, I suppose what we faced in terms of the challenges are no different to, or probably no less serious than the challenges that people in other walks of life have faced, but uh, it's made them no less difficult. We're probably fortunate 
I think was the enormous investment has been made in technology over an extended period of time and that's been the difference between us being able to run an effective series of sales and not and really considering the circumstances it's worked out very well well we'll have a chat about a couple of the sales this year a couple of the different ones and the jewel in the crown the easter yearling sale it was uh well it's the premier sale in the southern hemisphere really and it was a online auction how was the sale received from not only the market but the vendors as well the most challenging thing about Easter Todd was the tremendous uncertainty in the lead up to the, or in the lead up to the sale. Um, you know, we went to Coolmore Classic Day at Rose Hill with a group of clients, or a group of us went to Rose Hill for Coolmore Classic Day, and we didn't realise on that day that that was going to be our last day at the races, and none of us have been racing since. And effectively, from that period onwards, I think Scott Morrison spoke to the nation or addressed the nation the following day. And from that point, point onwards, there was just tremendous uncertainty around what was happening day to day. And that was the backdrop against which we were trying to coordinate the sale. So, um, you know, we considered a variety of different arrangements. At one stage, we were hopeful that we might be able to facilitate horses and a restricted number of buyers on the complex. That obviously was extinguished as an idea. We looked at the prospect of having a digital sale and we eventually settled on a virtual sale um, with a reduced catalogue and, uh, you know, an inspection schedule that meant that buyers had to inspect horses on farm or on property as opposed to inspecting them on the complex. But everybody rallied around it and, you know, to be able to sell uh, $7 million or above yearlings in that sort of environment was really quite extraordinary. And a number of vendors had really fantastic results out of it. I mean, in the case of some vendors, they arguably had better results than what they would have had through a traditional Easter yearling sales. So there were really, um, really a lot of positive experiences out of it. When you look at the actual stats from this year, uh, we're talking solely the Easter online, so not Easter 2, which was held a little later in the year, but the Easter, Easter 1 online, compared to last year, the average this year was... Uh, just over 306,000 and and last year it's just marginally down from 353,000 so it, the sale was still an overwhelming success for the, for those involved as well yeah from an, just from an economic point of view things were really tremendously uncertain at that stage and it it just affected the willingness of people to participate whether they were uh, domestic or international investors but by the same token we did still have wonderful participation from a broad spectrum of people i mean the caliber of horses second to none the record of the sale is outstanding it's probably a little disappointing for people on our team that we weren't in a position to host a traditional easter yearling sale because the quality of the sale or the quality of the catalog was so strong uh, you know it had been mooted by a number of respected people that the quality of the catalog based on inspections was as strong or stronger than they'd ever seen before and it really would have been fantastic to be able to host that sale as a traditional live auction, but it wasn't to be. And we're very grateful for those people who supported the sale. Uh, and hopefully we can talk with particular fondness in years to come of horses that graduated with this sale, it having been a, a particularly unique sort of sale. And the chairman's sale, Sebastian, was also a virtual auction. That's the elite breeding stock sale. And... Like you say, with the current climate at the moment, it proved that top-end bloodstock is still highly sought after. I think in the case of Inglis and our vendors, we took a lot of confidence from 
what we learned through the process of conducting the Easter yearling sale. I mean, very evidently, through the Easter yearling sale, the importance of the manner in which vendors promoted their stock. You know, the transparency, or the transparency of the information provided, the nature of the information provided through videos or reports, etc., was hugely important in terms of facilitating sales. And people took that experience forward into the chairman's sale, and it was, you know, incredibly strong. Again, we had four million dollar plus mares, uh, the same numbers where we'd had the year before. Turnover was the same as the year before. You know, the clearance rate wasn't as strong. We'd had an extraordinary clearance rate in 2019 with a smaller catalogue, but we still ran a very effective sale. And again, engagement in that sale was really fantastic. Um, and it's a credit to the work of the vendors in particular uh, in terms of the work they did to promote their horses. And I think it's given us a good platform to continue to build that sale into 2021. And I heard in an interview that you said the you know part of the spectacle of the chairman's sale is you know the black tie and the champagne and all that stuff, and it was really good to see the auctioneers through the live feed still dressed up to the nines. I think what people have recognised in a small number of uh, live auctions that have been able to be held in Australia since um, the advent of the pandemic, there's nothing quite like the theatre of a live auction. So the fact that our auctioneers were able to replicate some of that theatre through a virtual auction, you know, whether it was Easter or Chairman's, added to the spectacle of the sale. Um, we ran broadcasts of both of those sales through our website. And the extent of the engagement from people right around the world was really eye-opening. Uh, I think we had 80,000 individual um, engagements with the Chairman's sale many multiples of that engaged with the Easter yearling sale. It really gave us uh, a tremendous insight into the extent of the interest in those sales. And again, it gave us a lot of reasons to be very positive going forward. And the Easter 2 sales, so we spoke a little bit about Easter 1, which was the main catalogue. There was a Easter 2 held a little later in the year that coincided with the Australian Weanling sale. So Victorian participants weren't allowed to attend that sale, which we spoke a little bit about at the time with Seamus Mills on this show. Sebastian, how much of a say did Inglis have in that, or was it solely the, the New South Wales government and, and race in New South Wales that came to that decision? Look, as an auction house, we want to try and facilitate as many buyers on the complex as we possibly can while respecting whatever rules are in place. Um, we were in a position where... Our advice from uh, local government, state government and the relevant racing authorities was that it wouldn't be prudent to have uh, Victorian representatives on the complex. We have to respect those rules. Um, and it was deemed in the it was deemed in the public interest not to facilitate visitors from Victoria as much as we would have liked to. Yeah. Um, we had Victorian participation in the sale, but not quite to the same extent that we would have had, or obviously not to the same extent that we would have had people being allowed to attend the complex. But, but given what's unfolded since and, uh, you know, the negative publicity that's unfolded around certain areas or certain events or certain circumstances to have unfolded, you know, it probably looked to have been the right call at the time. And while it was hugely frustrating, uh, you know, you've got to take 
um, you've got to take the advice. And that was the advice that we were given at the time. We abided by it. And fortunately, the sale transpired to be a very effective sale in spite of that. It was a concept born through the uncertainty of the lead up to round one of Easter or the traditional Easter yearling sale. We wanted to be able to at least afford some vendors the potential of having a crack at a live auction, not quite knowing how the virtual auction was going to play out. I mean, we it was very evident through the sale in April that some vendors were compromised by their geographic location. Certainly in the case of the Hunter Valley vendors and some of those vendors represented in the Southern Highlands, they got good footfall and lead up to the sale. But that wasn't the case for the Victorian vendors, such as Yulong, for instance, and they represented they were represented instead of the live auction in July and ended up selling some horses very well. They got a lot of money for a Frankel filly. They had a I'm Invincible Colt, who's a really lovely horse, sell very well. And look, it, there were again a lot of positives to come out of that in terms of being for people in the market and similarly satisfied the demand on part on the part of purchasers for for further horses. Yeah, absolutely. The the monthly sales that have been taking place at Inglis Online, Sebastian, and Inglis have really been uh, one of the industry leaders when it comes to the online auctions. These monthly sales keep going from strength to strength, and we've already seen this year the Group 1 winner, Bella Vella, come out of one of the, the monthly sales. Um, Inglis must be pleased with the the way they continue to improve as well. Again, I mean, it's something that Inglis has invested a lot of uh, time and money in developing, and it's run by an outstanding team of people. You know, people like Nick Melmoth and Steph Carruthers do an amazing job in the management of that whole process, and it's grown from effectively nothing to be a very significant, credible, and consistent market that people used to great benefit very regularly. The frequency of the sales has increased in the last 12 months. They're now almost twice a month every month of the year. Um, The volume of stock trades through them has increased dramatically uh, to the point where turnover through the last 12 months is in excess of $40 million. That's a massive amount of money to trade through a platform like that. It's double, I think over double what had been traded in the 12 months prior and you know the nature of what's being sold is evolving all the time the quality of stock is improving we're able to sell a significant share in a very good horse called Mustajir uh, last October he ended up running well in a Caulfield Cup and it's gone on to be a stakes winner in Sydney you know his platform was sold a group one winner in Bella Vela sold expensive fillies mares uh, you know it's a regular source of uh, desirable tried horses it's it's really something that people have embraced and it's only going to get uh, better and better i would think as the technology evolves as systems improve and as people's confidence in it improves further there's still a number of sales to come the great southern sale which starts tomorrow being the the 7th of august and that'll run through to to the 12th that's an online format and the ready to race sale later in the year still to come but Normally on the ground, Sebastian, you'd be up there at the front doing the the bid spotting and stuff like that. How does the next couple of days, what does that look like for you while this sale is on? What we're trying to do is primarily work with uh, buyers to try and identify um, appropriate horses in the sale and then similarly work with vendors to try and help them gauge the value of their stock. 
Um, we put an awful lot of work year-round into identifying buyers, developing relationships with buyers, helping them satisfy what their objectives are in terms of sourcing appropriate stock. And when we're able to put together a consolidated catalogue of uh, good quality weanings as we have for the Great Southern Sale and then facilitate them through the digital platform, it represents an opportunity for a broad spectrum of people, whether they be pin hookers, uh, people buying to race, hobbyists, etc., etc. And uh, say like the Great Southern Sale has been a really solid source of quality racehorses for a number of years. I mean, two highlight horses in recent years are G Trows, obviously a Lightning winner, and Extra Brute won a Derby, both of whom have come out of the Great Southern Sale. Similarly, you're looking at people turning over significant pinnacle results. And, you know, the top lot from our Scone yearling sale was a $10,000 graduate of the Great Southern Sale. Uh, it was a great story of an expensive zoo star colt that was the second top lot in the Great Southern Sale a couple of years ago, making 225 grand. And he turned around and made 700 grand as a yearling. So it's been a very satisfying sale for a broad number of people or a great number of people for a, for a number of years. And while the sale in 2020 will be held in a, hugely different set of circumstances what it normally will that's not to say there still won't be plenty of opportunities there's some really good folds in the sale and we've just got to help people identify them yeah i think yeah the strength of the catalog will, will really shine through regardless of of whether it's it's online like you say the 2021 sale dates have been released uh recently sebastian and they've all gone back to their scheduled regular time slots no surprises everything is on track for 2021 and as much as it can be obviously there's still some uncertainty around um well what's going to happen in terms of the pandemic etc but you know that's not something that we can control all we can do is learn lessons from the last four months that hopefully make our systems and our processes and the service we offer better for people going forward and then look to implement implement those learnings over the next six to 12 months we'll still continue to inspect stock for those sales like we normally would you know inspections have effectively started already there's great enthusiasm around our sales series and understandably so we've had a in spite of the pandemic a really excellent yearling sales series tremendous growth at premier a lot of positive results at easter and then growth in key metrics at classic so each of our sales is on an upward trajectory and you know that means that generally means those sales are more appealing to, to vendors and subsequently to buyers you mentioned you've already started the inspections and been getting out to farms and things like that who are some of the stallions that are coming through that might have a, a you know a couple of early crops or their first yearlings or weanlings that you've that you've inspected that you're a bit boyish about todd working for an auction house it's very important to recognize that we like all vendors, all stallions, <laughs> all mares. <laughs> we're really look. I mean, we've we've regular discussions about um, stallions, pedigrees, but particularly stallions in terms of trying to identify uh, horses that might be more suited to our sales or a particular sale in our sales series than others. That's information. It's constantly evolving. You know, racing. There's significant racing year-round in Australia. It's not like other parts of the world where racing is very seasonal. You take Europe, for instance. You know, racing of significance only really takes place from March through to 
late October, whereas in Australia there are significant races right throughout the year, and so formulating an opinion on a stallion that's rigid is a dangerous thing to do. And yeah. you know, we can benefit it through, or we can benefit from it uh, through our sales series because if a stallion has a good winner or goes on a really good run, it has the capacity of driving demand for their progeny. And we've seen it year after year after year, uh, particularly with stallions with their first two-year-olds or three-year-olds. Uh, you know, they go on a good run through the later part of the summer or the early part of the autumn, and then all of a sudden that drives demand for their progeny at Classic or Premier or Easter. And that's the advantage of having a sales series that is uh, nicely scheduled for vendors to capitalize on whatever the whims of the market might be at a particular time. And that's the beauty of Inglis. They have a range of sales. We've spoke about Easter being the premier. That's, you know, your big fat pedigree, but you can find a horse at premier that's suited to different trainers and classic is that bit earlier type sale as well. So there really is a big range of buyers at all ends of the market. Yeah, look, I mean, I think the, fantastic thing for our sales is that across the board they've demonstrated themselves to be a consistent source of quality racehorses year in year out you know we've had 48 group one winning graduates since the start of 2018 it's 85% more than the the next best and it's just a fact you know Easter produces more good racehorses than any other sale in the southern hemisphere sales like Premier and Classic are opportunities to source quality racehorses at really great value prices. I mean, you look at some of the showcase horses who have graduated from those sales in recent years, whether she will reign for 20 grand, wins a slipper and sold for seven figures to Japan. Uh, a horse like Santa Elaine, who made 80 grand out of Premier, and he's won, I've lost count how much prize money he won, but I'm, I'm fairly confident it's in excess of four or five million dollars. You look at you know, a horse like Castle Vecchio, who's a classic sale graduate and goes on to be a popular young first season stallion. He's a classic graduate. You know, year in, year out, there are great stories to tell out of these sales. And I think that's what continues to drive participation in our sport. You know, the opportunity to hit a home run, be part of a great story. You know, you, we've just finished a round of breeding stock sales and there's some fantastic stories to come out of those. I mean, you take a, a mare like Youngstar, a $200,000 yearling. And she goes and makes $1.4 million as a broodmare, having given her connections all sorts of fun uh, as a Group 1 winner and quality race filly. She was the first Australian horse home in a Melbourne Cup in the year she ran in it. You know, some great stories. And that's what keeps people interested, keeps people getting involved and in pursuit of that holy grail, whatever that is for, for each person. Yeah, absolutely. Especially the ones that can do it for you on the track and then in the sales auditorium, they're just the uh, the extra added bonus there, aren't they? Very much so, yeah, very much so. I mean, everybody wants to everybody wants to land on the colt that can go be a stallion. I mean, that's the, you know, they're the opportunities to really generate massive revenue and they're the sort of horses that can change your address. But some of the stories are no less endearing or no less appearing for people who raise good geldings or good fillies and mares. It's a... Uh, it's a really fantastic sport in so many ways, and I think that's why it's, it goes so well in this country. You know, there's so many good stories to come out of it. 
Well, that's the business stuff out of the way. Time for a bit of me time now, Sebastian. You're the, the general manager of Bloodstock um, Sales and Marketing there at Inglis. You've been there a couple of years. How, how are you finding the role? It's it's obviously a broader sort of role than than what you had at Coolmore, but how are you finding it? Look, it's a really enjoyable place to work. I mean, uh, we have a great team of people. It's a good mixture of experience, youth and enthusiasm. You know, we have some guys particularly amongst the younger guys, we have some guys in our team that are just really exceptionally talented. And, you know, it's hard not to take real enjoyment working from people like that, people who you know are going to go on and do really big things in the industry, you know, whether it's with English or whether with somebody else. You know, those guys are, you know, really stimulating colleagues. And there are a lot of people who've accumulated a lot of experience at English over the years. And it's great to learn from those people. And, I think what's particularly enjoyable working at an auction house is that everybody's your client. You know, you you have no reason not to deal with any particular person, whether it's a buyer, a vendor, a breeder, a trader. You know, you can offer service to basically just about every participant in the industry. And it's about trying to work with people to try and help them achieve an optimum result. And I, I must admit, I found it, I found it really enjoyable. You come through uh, the ranks there at Coolmore which it must have been uh, you know, a really big pleasure to work for such a global organisation. You started in Ireland and then you found your way to Australia. Tell us a bit about your time at Coolmore and, and some of the stains that you worked with there. Yeah, look, it was a fantastic place to work. I mean, it's like a big family. It's just the most extraordinary farm, you know, the most extraordinary environment. It was my home for over 10 years, so you develop a real attachment to the place. Um and there's are some really wonderful people there and it's a hugely interesting place it was a hugely interesting place to work and i think you can say that about the bloodstock industry as a whole it draws in a very diverse spectrum of people and you know i got good experience with that at coolmore and the hunter valley in general and i, I was there at a time when i, I started when in costa del lago was champion star fast and rock became champion star during my time there and just before I, um, just before I left, Piero was establishing himself as potentially the next big star in the stallion roster. So I've had the opportunity to to spend time overseeing the careers of those kind of horses. Has been very informative. You learn a lot from it, and uh, certainly plenty of things that you can or that have carried forward into my new career. One of the things I noticed that I, I believe uh, Coolmore has held you in good stead in your new role at English, Sebastian. You're spending a lot of time in front of the camera, doing a lot of media street. I've even seen you on Sky News Channel. I think they even gave you a car spot down there. You were, you were on the uh, on the network so much. But the old Bread to Win videos with the new stallions and things like that, you used to, uh, you were the main man for the Bread to Win there at Coolmore. Yeah, we, we, used, to, we used to have a lot of fun. We used to have a lot of fun at... Um at the farm doing those kind of things like the the concept when i came to australia was so alien to me you know racing and breeding are big sports in britain and ireland but don't get anywhere near the level of media exposure that they get here and the the very fact that there was a a weekly breeding program um in fact when i came to australia there were two weekly breeding programs but the fact that, that it was so readily embraced I found quite fantastic. And so as a consequence, when you see that there's an appetite for these kind of things and there's a willingness on the part of the respective networks to put these things on, 
you recognise how important it is to support them because it it continues to stimulate people's interest, people's involvement in sport, and um, you know uh, I, I enjoy doing them, and they were really well put together, and you know it was it was as interesting for me to be part of those programs as it was to watch other people's productions about their stallions. You know, I, I, I found it very interesting just learning about the sport in Australia as a whole, being able to watch those programs and still do. So, you know, breeding is a far more viable proposition in this part of the world than what it is in any other parts of the world. And I think that's illustrated by what's um, what's shown off through programs like Bread to Win. I, I used to watch them when I was in like years 10 and 11. I think 2012... I first introduced myself to you at, at a stallion launch there at the Rialto Towers in Melbourne. So you think, me, sir, Uncle Mo and Zoffany were the new stallions. And I remember I used to watch Bread to Win. I thought, who's this bloke? He, he looks my age and he's doing, he's the main man for the uh, for the videos for the new stallions. Henry the Navigator, Harada Sun, all the big names too. Yeah, we, we probably had a few that didn't quite work out as well as what we might have hoped. But then I suppose you, you identify what you think are the best horses you give them their opportunity and you know they've got to do they've got to do the work themselves from some point and some of them measure up some of them don't but that's why i suppose it's so fulfilling when they do work out sebastian thank you very much for taking the time to have a chat here in the trainer's hut and we uh wish you all the best with your time in english going forward and all going well 2021 will be another big year for the company todd really appreciate it Sebastian Hutch there joining me in the trainer's hut and uh, we're all well aware 2020 certainly hasn't been the desired year for most and we're wishing everyone well particularly in Victoria at the moment as that's where we record the trainer's hut and here in Melbourne so there's a lot going on at the moment but to Inglis's credit uh, there's a lot of people that uh, you know a lot's been made about the industry, the racing industry, and how it's been able to carry on and be one of the main constants or the only constant that's through this this whole ordeal for most of the year. But in order for racing to continue on, the bloodstock needs to be traded, and you know yearlings need to be bought, horses need to be bred. So it's a real feather in the cap to Inglis and the team there, and and they ought to be uh, congratulated the whole the whole team behind the scenes there because. It was uh, for the vendors and and buyers alike. It has been uh, a pretty successful sales season. And as we said in the chat, it hasn't finished yet with the Great Southern Sale commencing tomorrow and will run through to the 12th of August. Um, So if you you weren't aware of that, jump on the English website, have a look, and you can can easily see the catalogue there and be a part of the bidding you just register to bid on their website if you haven't already and i'm sure there's going to be plenty more good stories to come out of that whether it be pin hooking or horses that uh, go on to bigger and better things in the track that's it for this week's episode of the trainer's hut thanks very much for your company if you are enjoying the show jump on apple Podcasts and spotify subscribe or follow if you haven't already and Leave a review. Let us know what you think of the show. If you want to get in touch and any suggestions, feedback, or anything along those lines, you can find me on Twitter at Todd Blum Bloodstock is the tag on Twitter and sportthought.com.au, the website that we bring the show to you through. You can find Sportthought on Facebook and Instagram. Just search Sportthought and you'll see the uh, yellow logo there with the blue golf flag and 
and writing. So get in touch with us. Let us know what you think. Always happy to hear from the people out there. It's been very encouraging for the support that I've received so far with the show and we're really continuing to move along and we're not going to stop here. There's plenty more guests in the pipeline. We're working on uh, a big future star jockey and he's going to be a big name in racing for plenty of years to come if he's not already and there's plenty more action still to come as we build up to the spring carnival and boy oh boy I can't wait for this year's spring carnival we're on the Melbourne Cup path here in the trainer's hut we had Rob Hickmont speaking about two of his charges Chabelle and Django Freeman who are you know Chabelle's definitely right in the mix and Rob was very confident of his chances last week so if you haven't listened to that jump back through the catalogue have a listen to that have a listen to a few other episodes and I hope you enjoy listening to them as much as I've enjoyed putting them together. That's it. We'll see you next week in the trainer's hut. I'm Todd Blum. See you then.